as we get started, I promise that this is a message of hope. And yet, we're going to start in famine, okay? But I promise, this is going to be a message of hope this morning. Um, But let's start with famine. What is famine? Famine is a widespread scarcity of food, water. Um, It's widespread. It's caused by several things, war, crop failure, um, weather, whatever it is, but the reality is, is it leads to just widespread malnutrition, starvation, panic, sickness, ultimately to death. Now, if you were, and I'm not recommending you do this, please don't, um, but if you were to right now get out on your phone and Google image famine, ugh, it is horrible, the images that fill your screen. Just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, ultimately, it just shows how vulnerable we are as humans, but more than that, how valuable we are. It's heartbreaking when you see these these images. There are few things worse than an entire community, men, women, children, unable to find the sustenance they need to survive, and that is famine, and that is hopeless. Um, Throughout the years, we have seen famines, Come and, and famines go. Um, we've seen the damage that it can cause to communities. This morning, our text is going to point to a famine, uh, but the text is going to point to a different kind of famine. Uh, we're going to see a, a famine as we look at our text, what I'm going to call a spiritual famine. A spiritual famine, not a famine caused by a lack of food, but a famine caused by the lack of the word and presence of God, a spiritual famine. Um, Famine is, let me say it again, famine is horrible. And I want to propose to you that that is true for both physical and spiritual famines. Horrible. Um, Just because you can't get out your phone right now and type in spiritual famine, Google image, and see horrible pictures does not mean that it is any less terrible, any less Horrible. Uh, more than that, I would even argue that we as a community today are relatively well-fed, physically. We're relatively well-fed. At the same time, though, I would argue that many of us know exactly what spiritual famine feels like, what it looks like, that we, we know the effects, we feel the effects of, of famine. Now, we might not call it spiritual famine, but we know it, we see it. And it can just be soul-crushing. Here in our text, as we look at Amos 8, the final few verses, God is going to tell the people what is coming. And he's going to be direct. He's going to be clear. And we're going to just look at it verse by verse. We're going to start today in verse 11. In verse 11 of of, um, Amos 8. And I'll just start right there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will send a famine on the land. I want to make three observations from this very quickly, um, from this first part. First is this word behold. Behold is an announcement language. It's to announce something. It's to tell someone of what is happening, something that is sure. It's, it's almost like saying, look at this. Like, behold. Observation number two. Observation number 
uh, or observation number one. The next observation is declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. This is not the word of a man, a man who can make mistakes. This is not the word of a man who may or may not have the power to actually do what he's beholding. No, this is from the word of God. So the one who does not make mistakes, the one who does have the power to make it happen, this is like a word from the top. So it's this behold, declares the Lord language here. Observation number three, please notice the grammar, um, especially of the second line. You see the grammar, I, this is a first person pronoun, will send. That is an active verb. So God is not only saying, behold, it's happening, declares the Lord, meaning thus saith the Lord, it's going to happen. But not only that, God tells us that he is in fact going to be the active agent, sending it, bringing it about. God says, I will bring this about. What's he bringing about? He's bringing about famine. He's bringing about Famine, but not just any kind of famine, because the second part of this verse, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Um, in this time, God is saying, you're going to stop hearing my words. Silence. You're going to stop hearing. I don't know if you realize how just how terrifying of a statement that is. How absolutely terrifying that really is. Um, we're going to dig into this here in a bit more, but i got to bring something out. We would not know God if God had not first chosen to reveal himself to us. We would not know him. When you hold this, you not only hold the very word of God, the power, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, all of those, you know, churchy words that are meaningful, you not only hold that, but when you hold this, you hold the realization that God has chosen to tell you who he is, his character, his grace, his story, tell you about him and who you are in his plan. Without this, without God choosing to tell us who he is, you and I would not know him. If he had not first revealed himself to us. Now, yes, you can go outside and see his fingerprints on creation. That's wonderful. And all of those are going to point to the creator. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. In fact, Romans tells you that you know just enough through general revelation to be condemned. So it's going to point to our creator. But without God's word, God revealing himself Without special revelation, we would not know the fullness of the gospel. We would not know the fullness of who he is, the fullness of who Christ is, the fullness of who we are. In other words, here's what I want you to, you to hear in this. Without God revealing himself through his word and his spirit, we would have no option but to walk in spiritual famine. No option. There's no other choice. There's no plan B. If God didn't reveal and give, we would have nothing and we would be walking in famine. And this is where they are. Behold, declares the Lord, I will send a famine on you, a famine where you will not receive my word. You will not hear it. 
In verses 12 and 13, we start to see that they are feeling the impact of that. Verse 12, they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So church, um, they're searching for spiritual food. They're just going, searching for it. And it shows us at least two things. First, don't miss the fact that they feel the hunger. They feel the hunger pains. For those who don't even know and love and follow God, they feel this hunger. And they're searching around in their spiritual starvation, and they are looking for it. Why is that? Well, it's because we're created for it. We're created in the image of God, and we have this longing and even... Even the most hardened are, are, are walking around in this state of starvation that we feel. So we search. There's this hunger in our hearts. We feel malnourished. And here in Amos, the people of God who were busy doing their own things, they were consumed by all their money and their stuff and their luxuries and their comfort, and they loved it all um, in their sin. These same people, don't miss this, are the ones now wandering, wandering everywhere. Try to find something to eat, something to satisfy, because all that stuff didn't, and they're wondering and looking, feeling starvation pains because they're created in the image of God, and their souls long for their creator. They long for it. We were created for it. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, I wish I knew him personally. I really do. Um, you might have heard this quote before. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I am made for another world. I'm made for another world. This points to exactly what's going on in our text and points to something else. Um, the people are, are wandering around and they're looking and they're looking and they're looking and they're searching and going, you know, everywhere. They're looking. And what are they seeking? Well, they're spiritually starving. And when God is silent, what they're going to do is go to any other lowercase g God that they can find. Anyone. Give me something. Give me something. They hit the road looking. And, and they're, they're looking and they're looking. But here's the thing. There is no substitute for the word of God. There is no substitute for the presence of God. So those hunger pains are still there. Uh, I have an analogy. I've used this before. I think it's a really helpful one. Um, think about you, you being stranded on a raft in the middle of the ocean, dying of thirst. I said this was a message of hope. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> but you're on this raft. You, you need water, right? Um, on this raft... Think about this. You're literally surrounded by water, like as far as you can see. And, and, and how can you be dying of thirst when you're literally surrounded by water? Um, this is like us as humans, how we can be spiritually starving when we're surrounded by other options, surrounded by all these things, and, and, but it's just like the raft. Here's the, the, the power of this analogy is on this raft, every drink that you take of that salty water around you does nothing but dehydrate you more and more 
and more with each sip that you try to satisfy, it makes it worse. It dehydrates you more. It cannot satisfy you. The same is true with our spiritual hunger and thirst, that the more sips that we take of the salty options around us, the more the problem gets worse, the hunger increases, the thirst increases. Without the word of God, the presence of God, there is no worthy substitute no matter how far you travel to find it. Um, that quote I gave from C.S. Lewis, I love it, but I, there's a second part to it. I thought it was too good to just stop. So I'm going to give you the second half of his quote. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Listen to this, though. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they were only a copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and help others to do the same. Again, I wish I knew him. Um, beautiful quote. Here the people of Israel are in the midst of spiritual famine, and they're just searching from land to land, trying to find something to satisfy, and they can't. And they can't. And then we read in verse, in verse 13. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. What this is saying is even the strongest among them are dropping. Are dropping from thirst. Spiritual famine is horrible. Then God says in verse 14, look, your substitutes aren't going to cut it. Listen to what he says. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, you're, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives. In other words, those who swear by all these false gods, these gods of the countries around you, those who swear by them, those who are trying to drink from those salty waters, taking those big heaping gulps of that salty water around you, God says, they shall fall. And never rise again. And never rise again. Church, that is death. That is death. Um, but here's the scary thing about this church. Physical famine leads to physical death. Right? Physical famine leads to physical death. And that is terrible. As Christians, we believe in the value and sanctity of every human life. And, and so death and starvation of God's image bearers are at, is absolutely terrible, horrible. Physical famine leads to physical death. But we also need to understand spiritual famine. Spiritual famine, where does that lead? Well, spiritual famine leads to spiritual death. Spiritual death. They shall fall and never rise again, church. This is deeper than physical death. Although physical death might be a part of this, it is deeper than that. 
This is a spiritual death, a death that does not lead to eternal life. This is death, spiritual death. Famine is awful. Physical famine is awful. Spiritual famine is awful. Famine is the deprivation from the sustenance that we need to live, both on a physical and spiritual level. So here's the question. This is a big one. Um, Is famine still possible for us today? So we're reading about Israel like thousands of years ago, but is it still possible today? Well, in a physical sense, we say yes. We've seen physical famines. It's why you can Google image disturbing images right now. Because we've seen it. It still happens. But what about in a spiritual sense? Is spiritual famine still, and I want you to really take this in, is it still possible today? For, for God to remove his word from our hearts and hands? To be silent? Is spiritual famine still possible today? I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning. Um, because I think this is a really important question that although you might not have had that same terminology for it, that you have probably wrestled with today. And so to answer this, listen, I'm going to have us turn a couple places. You don't have to turn with me. Um, unless you're on a, your phone, you can definitely just scroll with me there. That's easy. But you can, you can also turn. I'm going to put these verses on the screen. But I'm going to have us turn to two other places in order to answer this question. Is spiritual famine still possible today? The first place I want to turn to is is, uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy here, and in this letter, he's writing to him about the last days. And he gives this description of the last days that we need to work through in answering this question. Um, This is a lot of text. Hang on. Buckle up, okay? We'll get there. Here we go. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. It's a horrible description. Uh, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Okay, church, that's like the raft. It's people taking swig after swig of all of that salty water. This is a scene of starvation and dehydration. And then the three words that Timothy hints, avoid such people. Avoid such people. Then, don't miss this. Here is what um, Paul says next. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In the midst of famine, what does Paul do? He points to the word of God. He points to scripture. He points to the pure water and points away from the salty water. And it's not just that, because he doesn't just point to it, but now what we're going to see is he points us to actually proclaim it, to preach it, to continue to drink from it, but then to continue to offer the drink to others. Listen to this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Then lastly, look at this, how he points us back to where we started For the time is coming when people will not endure it. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths like the people wandering to find something to satisfy. Wandering. As for you, though, church, be Always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay, really long text there. Thank you for allowing me to get through it, although you had no say in the matter. Um, But here's what we just saw in this text. Yes, spiritual famine will persist. Spiritual famine will persist. Spiritual famine will continue and is possible in our days. These, these, uh, these days that scripture refers to as the last days, not only is spiritual famine possible in these days, church, it is promised in these days, meaning God told you it was going to happen. He told us this was going to happen. Only, here's the difference. In Timothy, it wasn't a removal of God's word. Notice, Timothy calls us back to God's word. He didn't remove God's word, his presence from his people, but in a very real sense, there's simply a removal of any hunger or thirst, and he gives them over to their own passions and desires. What we see today is a very different kind of famine. What we see today is a strange kind of famine where people have, we're dealing with a people who have lost taste and desire for real food. It's a famine of hunger in some sense. It's like in this raft in the middle of the ocean, they've lost even the desire to take a drink of something not salty. Instead, they have this unquenchable desire for all of that salt water that is around them. And that is why Paul says this right at the beginning. Understand this. In these last days, hey, that is coming. That is coming. That is spiritual famine. Spiritual famine. It is coming. We should not be surprised to see spiritual hunger or spiritual famine. We should not. In fact, in these days, in these last days, your calling is to go outside and walk through the land of famine. Offering real drink and food to anyone who will take and listen. Spiritual famine 
out there is not only possible, it is promised. There is a spiritual famine out there. Malnourishment, starvation, sickness, pain, struggle. There's a spiritual famine out here, out there. But here's the second part of this question, and this is where it gets harder. What about in here? Is spiritual famine possible in here? Um, I, I want to ask you to turn to one more place with me. I actually don't think that it's possible to preach faithfully Amos 8 to a church without preaching John 4 at the same time. Would you go with me to John chapter 4? John chapter 4, here in this text is a scene where Jesus meets a woman, a Samaritan woman, at a well. Um, this is a really powerful scene for about 780 reasons, and I'm just going to give one, okay? Um, I'm going to highlight just one. John 4, verse 7, it starts, and we read the story where a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him that he would have given you living water. This must have been a really awkward statement for this woman to hear, but she pushes on. The woman, the woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with? That well is, is kind of deep. Where are you going to get that living water? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Um, what, what she, she's trying to track this conversation that Jesus is having. Like, why are you ripping on my well? Jesus, like, why are, you, why are you talking down to my water here? And, and here is Jesus' response. Church, in light of Amos 8, please hear this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again the water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What an incredible statement that is. What an incredible statement. All of this water in this well, you drink it and you're thirsty again. But I have water. I offer water that is different, pure, true water. And when you take a drink of the water that I give you, you do not ever thirst again. Ever. 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 And I want to make the obvious statement of the morning. If there is a drink of water that you take, and by taking it, you can never be thirsty again, Guess what? Spiritual famine's no longer possible, is it? Because you can't thirst again. Hear me, church. Out there, spiritual famine is promised. It's promised. We see spiritual famine in our community. But in Christ, you have to hear me, spiritual famine is no longer possible. 
It's no longer possible. It's not possible for you to die of thirst when you've taken the drink that you'll never thirst again. It's not possible. In Christ, there is no spiritual famine. Jesus says, the water I give you will spring up, welling up to eternal life. It's eternal water. No more thirst. Now and forever, no more thirst. And here's the thing. Um, Just a few pages in my Bible, it is four pages to the right. Um, Jesus will go on to say this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Church, out there, apart from Christ, it's a land of famine. But in Christ, Christ is your living water. And there is lasting satisfaction in him. There is no more spiritual starvation in Christ. Here's the thing, though. I want to be very clear about something. Does this mean that you and I now will never go through dry seasons? Does this mean that we'll never go through seasons of dryness or struggle or or disinterest, pain? Seasons when praying is just really hard. Seasons when picking this up and reading it, just there's no desire. Seasons where you're struggling. Seasons when coming to a room like this with your brothers and sisters is hard. Does this mean that when we come to Jesus, that everything is awesome is now our motto in everything? It's all good. No more dryness, no more doubt, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more sin. No, please, you know you. You know you. In this world, you will face troubles and trials, and in this world, you will go through dry seasons. You will. Why? Well, it's because you're a sinner saved by grace. It's because you're being sanctified. You've been justified. One day, you're going to be glorified. Um, but until that day, you live in this fallen world. And, and it's really important to understand that the problem we have in the world is, yeah, there are some external problems that we face. But when I say we live in a fallen world, we need to be honest that that fallenness often dwells right here. It dwells here. And so what that means is as we walk through this land, um, we will deal with our own sin and shortcomings. That we, this is a walk not of perfection but of grace. This is why we depend on the grace of God through all things. This is why there's this old hymn. It's actually a hymn that we are about to sing, and I love it. Um, says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. What this is saying, church, is that there will be seasons of dryness, but the morning is coming, and the point of the gospel is that in it all, through it all, you are held fast by the one who accomplished it all. It's the point of the gospel. 
So what this means is dry, yes. Famine, no. No. Dryness in here, at times. His grace is sufficient through it. Famine, when we are in Christ, you are held fast. And Jesus, the one who holds you, says, I'm giving you water. You're never going to drink. You're never going to be thirsty again. Jesus, the one who holds you, says, if anyone thirsts, just let him come to me and drink. Not withholding, inviting. I believe this is a message of hope this morning. And with this, I want to be very honest about something. Um, if you're here right now and you hear all this, and if you're just being honest, you're probably not going to be honest with me right now. Um, but if you were, maybe you hear this and you say, you know what, I'm not hungry at all. I have no desire for any of this. Maybe you're here and right now you're just content wandering, content apart, your life apart from Christ. You're content with this. Listen, if that is you, first of all, I love you and I'm glad you're here. But I also recognize there is absolutely nothing I can say to make you hungry. There's nothing. The only thing that is for me to do according to God's word is to pray and to continue to point to Jesus. That's it. But it's not in my power. It's not in any human being's power to make you hungry. It's only God who can create that hunger through the work of his spirit to open eyes that were blind. You can't do that. To open ears that are deaf. You also can't do that. Our God can. That's the work that we're praying for, that we would know the power of, of this lyric. I had to put this up here because I love it. Oh, God of mercy, God who understands me. Look at this. God who made me thirsty and then came down to give me drink. That's my prayer. If you're here and you're just like, stiff arm, pastor. This is my prayer that you would come to know this. But if you're here and you are hungry, hungry and you are thirsty, for all who hunger, for all who thirst, Christ satisfies. He is the living water. And in a land of famine, you will never be thirsty. That is the promise that Christ has given you. You will never lack. Because no matter what you face, both now and forever, Christ is sufficient, and spiritual famine has been defeated through the power of Jesus Christ. That's the promise of the gospel. Here's what this means for us. Uh, first, man, let's find our satisfaction in him. Let's find our satisfaction in him. In a world, as you go outside, in a world that tells you, hey, try this. Hey, try this. Try this one. Try that. Try this. In a world that is offering up many alternatives, Many alternatives. Let us be the ones who find our true satisfaction in the word. And when I say find our satisfaction in the word, I mean two things. One, uppercase word. That's the word becoming flesh, son of God, uppercase W word, meaning Jesus Christ. Let us find our satisfaction in him. And in addition, lowercase w, word, meaning this. Let us find our satisfaction here knowing that he gave us this so that we may know him. Let us find our confidence and satisfaction in the word and in the word. 
And second, in a land of famine, spiritual famine, okay, tough truth here, you cannot make anyone hungry and you can't change anyone. No matter how hard it hurts to see them hurting on a life raft, doing things that are damaging to themselves, you cannot change them. You were not put on this earth to change them. You were put on this earth to point them to the one who can change them. That's it. Your, your mission, your calling, is to proclaim the word, both uppercase and lowercase. You're called to offer Christ to as many people as who would listen and as many people as who would drink. It's your calling. I, I mentioned that um, at the beginning, that Google imaging, Google search image of a famine is gross and heartbreaking and terrible. Um, but hear me, just because we can't Google spiritual famine like that doesn't mean it's any less horrible. And I gotta ask, like if we were able to Google image spiritual famine of Stone Oak, San Antonio, North Central San Antonio, what images, if they were there, would we see? The... Um, the truth is, is that the images would probably look a lot like that. And it's, it's our calling, not just as a pastor, not just as the super Christians who are like, let's go tell people about Jesus, the evangelist. Um, it's our calling as Christians, period, all of us. Our calling together to offer Christ to as many people as who will hear. To literally walk out into the famine land Offering Christ, the living water, to anyone who would drink. And in doing that, the results are not yours. I'm not promising that if you do this, you will walk out and people will be flocking to Jesus because of your obedience. I pray they do, and they might, but that's not my promise. That's not my promise. The promise of Scripture is that he has chosen, God has chosen to use you as an instrument for his glory, and that in a very dry and weary land, that he offers living water. And he's invited you to take the drink and then to go and offer it to as many as who will take it.